What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 81 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from MikesLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we will talk a little bit about stage fright, what it is, and how we deal with it. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Dave Weckl. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out the D-Drum Max Kit. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. <laughs> oh, so how does that sound on your end? We sound like we're five-year-olds who can't keep a beat. Speaking of which, I ahead. had a, uh, you know, because I started teaching some some kids, some beginners, and a good friend of mine, that's like how he makes his living is teaching beginners. So he just okay. happened to come out to one of my gigs and we were just talking and he was asking me how it was going. I'm like, it's going fine, you know, but I feel like there's just certain things that I'm having to really, you know, keep harping on in like time and, and stuff. He's like, you know what, Mike, here's a little lesson for you. I've been doing this for a lot of years from age five to 13. Their time always sucks. <laughs> like you're not, they're not <laughs> going to be good at it. You're going to have to just let go of it. And then one day they're going to walk in and they can play in time. Like it just have to, yep. you have to let it go. That's, I'm like, I don't know, man. That's the only thing that matters to me. It's the only thing I practice, but yeah, it, it's tough, man. I mean, that's, the toughest thing in private lessons is taking yourself out of the equation when they're kids. Yeah. You know, I don't get to impose my artistic vision for them when they're kids. It's like, man, my job is to get you to fall in love with this instrument. Because once you fall in love with it, uh, you and I both know, I would say probably from 12 until my late 30s, I, it's never felt like practice when I practice. It's the most fun I have all day. Yeah, um, yeah I can agree. Even in the worst moments of practice. Yeah. But but up to 12, it was like my mom going like, you need to practice your drums. And it's like, no, I'll play them, but I'm not practicing those stupid things. <laughs> and then time, it's like you you have no concept of time. So yeah. how can you be good at something you don't have the concept of? Yeah, like you're going to learn what fractions are, and I'm trying to teach you subdivisions. And, right. Like what yeah. is a subdivision? I, I don't even know what that word means. You know, and, you, and I'm sitting there at like the whatever Russ McKinnon clinic at when I was 11, and he's going, you know, time is about the space between the notes. If you can perfect, per, you know, perfect the space in between every note, you'll have great time. And I'm like, what? Why would you want any space between the notes? Go faster. Close the gaps. <laughs> you know, so it's like you're just not in the right mindset to to handle that. So yeah, back off the kids, funny. Dawson. No, back I mean, off the kids. I don't beat them up. I just, but it's just one of those things in the back of my head. Like, am I yeah. am I failing as a teacher not having them practice with a metronome? But I, it's you know, I'm okay with it. There's a little bit of a fear, and this is a real thing, especially when you're teaching students. One of the fears that creeps in is what happens when this student goes to their next teacher? Yeah. Because their yeah. next teacher is going to be like, wait, your teacher never taught you about time? <laughs> and then you have to call that teacher and be like, hey, he was seven when I had him. He's 32 now. Okay? Yeah. Calm down. <laughs> like, And so, yeah, I mean, that's. I remember as a private teacher, I was like... Oh, you, you're going to go take lessons with him? Uh, okay, let me give you some sheets to put in the front of your folder. Okay, tell him you were working on this. <laughs> Don't let him know what we really did the whole time. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's How good. are you, buddy? I am frazzled. It's been a long week. It's never any week. So last week I was I did like a string of five shows in a row and then a rehearsal. Wow. So no, no weekend for me. I literally touched down at Newark Airport at 6.30 on Saturday and had to be at a gig by 8.45 uh, Whoa. after playing like three shows in a row on the West Coast. So, you know, I'm, I was a little frazzled, but I had the, like, 
I reminded myself of the only th- the way that you can get like better at playing gigs is by playing gigs. Right. Like that, like road chops that you develop that. Yes. You can't manufacture them in the practice room. And it's so frustrating and it's so fleeting. Like by the end of those six days, I was like, man, I can do no wrong. Like everything is just firing like perfectly in my brain. I'm focused. I was exhausted, but the gig still went great. And it was just like, like that is the, that's the juice that I crave. Like, how do I do that? How do I manufacture that in the practice room? Yeah, man. But you can't. Our label. You can't. No, our label actually, so let's say we would get a big tour with a Rage Against the Machine type band that was going to be all massive shows. Our label would always put us out on a two-week club date tour, gigs every night, leading into the first opening show right. of whatever yeah. major act we're on because they, they they couldn't allow us to eventually get our road chops on. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's like, hey, this band will probably only come to the side of the stage on your first night ever because they want to see who's opening for them and after yeah. that they're never going to see you again. Yeah. And this is your only chance to impress them. And so yeah, it's it's a real thing for sure. And uh and yeah, once you're in that zone yeah. and you're like I don't even play drums. The drums play me. Yeah. I'm just, just happy. You you become Billy Corgan. You're like I'm the auteur <laughs> of the information as it flows, you know, and you just become like such a hippie. But it's just the way it is, man, and it's it's such an effortless thing. Yeah. Yeah, and you, I mean it, I don't think there's any way to practice it. You, your band can rehearse Eight, eight hours a day you have to just play yeah. shows and then it's just something happens yeah. but, it, but like I said it's so fleeting like today I feel like it's all gone like it's it's not there I'm back <laughs> to hating myself and you know like oh man uh, before it was just like autopilot I felt like like James Brown where he steps on stage and just his body just starts moving <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, yeah 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 no yeah. it's well and the other thing is the people that see you on your third or fourth show to them it's their first show so they just assume oh he's always like that mm-hmm that's just Mike Dawson, he, you know. That's yeah. That's why he's that modern drummer. He just steps on stage <laughs> and he's the man. Well, I'm glad you got to. Where were you on the West Coast? Where did I play? San Diego and then Vegas for a couple of days. Oh, okay, cool, yeah, man. It was fun. very cool. It was fun. And then I flew back and did a couple gigs here locally with with a guest guitarist uh, who was out of town, a great guitarist. But so it was like this. The whole week was kind of high pressure. You know, we flew in, played a show that night with you know no real prep, and then drove to Vegas and played a couple. You know, big, big rooms. And then I flew back and had no rehearsal with this guy and had no sleep. I mean, I, I literally stayed up until five in Vegas, got on the plane. Wow. I guess slept. I don't know. I just kind of right, arrived yeah, yeah. in Newark. Just in and out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then went straight to the gig. And I was literally like, my eyes, my vision was blurred by the time I got to the gig. Wow. But it just turned on. As soon as I sat behind a kid, I was like, oh, here we are. Let's go. This is what I do. <laughs> this is what I do. I'm a professional musician. That's fun. awesome, man. How would your So while you were trip? doing, I was going to say, while you were doing that, I was playing drum solos at 7 a.m. in front of a crowd. <laughs> oh, man, that's tough. That is tough. <laughs> um, I mean, did you start with like it, 60 BPM? Where'd you go? Yeah, yeah. Well, luckily, it, this was for Minel, so it was a symbol. We were just showing off the three lines from beginning to medium to pro. So mm-hmm. we showed off the HCS line, which honestly, I don't know if you've ever reviewed them, but I think Pisces does a similar thing where they make so many cool symbols in their most affordable package now. Yeah. That like you get splashes and trash crashes and you know stacks and I'm like because I I don't know if you saw the picture I put on Instagram but it had all the HCS on my kit mm-hmm. from Sweetwater and it's a massive Portnoy setup 
And then while we're doing the speech, the guy that's you know doing the thing, like I'm behind the kit, and then there's a minor rep that's talking to the crowd, and he's like, "All right, this whole kit that we've got on Mike's kit uh, retails for three forty nine. And I was like, "Wait, <laughs> what? I could be full Portnoy for three forty nine? This is awesome! That's crazy. Um, I would. I remember paying like a hundred and twenty five bucks for one sort of crappy crash <laughs> for like a B eight Pro yeah. or something. Yeah, no, I, I mean and. Yeah, I mean, this stuff isn't even bronze. It's rolled brass wow. or stamped brass. But it actually sounded really good. And one thing I noticed is that when you're going for nasty sounds like a trash splash or a trash china or a stacker, the cheaper the metal is, the better those things sound. Yeah, yeah um, I agree. You don't yeah. need B20 bronze for a china. So so anyway, so I, I had a blast doing that. And one of the coolest things is uh, one of my favorite people in the entire drum industry, John Palmer, who was my? Uh, he was the head of product development at Gretsch for years, mm-hmm. and so anything new that came out with Gretsch, he was behind it. And he, him, and I became very close while I was at Gretsch. He's now at Tama, and Tama was putting on uh, all, uh, a similar thing at Sweetwater. So I got to see him. Oh, cool. Got to play some Tama kits. Got to have him be like, you know, you sound pretty good on that Star <laughs> Classic. I'm like, stop it. I'm not going anywhere. I heard I'm you've just... been buying some drums, you know. <laughs> yeah, hey, I mean, if you're shopping, we've got, but I was like, dude, your kits, I played a, they had like my sizes, 2012, 14 in a Thomas Star Classic. And uh, the one thing that I will say about Tama that blows me away, and this is for everyone out there that's looking for an amazing, and maybe you can attest to this too, but an amazing affordable snare drum, that SLP line is incredible, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty impressive and really extensive. It is, to me, the the new Black Panther, you know? Yeah, um, yeah they got everything in that line. Yeah, I played a... <laughs> I played a pine snare drum, I think, or so, I, something where I was like, what? And it was amazing. And then they had a, a, an aluminum one. Anyways, uh, that's one thing that I'm always recommending to my students. I mean, the Brooklyns are affordable and they sound fantastic, but that SLP line has so much variety in it. So, And some of them are like 100 bucks, like the smaller, like 12. Oh, they're super stuff. affordable. Yeah. yeah, they're really affordable. So, so yeah, Sweetwater was great. I had a good time doing that, and it's just always inspiring to be around that company. Um, I had my second rehearsal last night with my new project. Sweet. and And I, I've, I don't know if I've ever had this much fun playing drums in my life. Really? Like, I, I really with mean it. With another like, human we, being? <laughs> I know that's the craziest part, and I what I realize is it comes down to writing. This is my you know my ninth time trying to date since my last band broke mm-hmm. up, and every one of those dates have been like, "You're cool for a night, but we're not. This isn't going to be long term because you can't write." So the noodling that I do with people and the showing off stuff is always fun, but it's like, but there's no songs here, and this kid Dean that I'm playing with, he he's. He just writes stuff that I like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's got a little hint of it's like '90s rock fusion. Hey, <laughs> so it's got go. like the tone that I dig that's from my past, and then we get to do it in odd time signatures. So I'm having a blast with that. Um, and then uh, and then I got uh, because that 13 ANF was so awesome. I got the 14 by five and a half. I think I sent you a picture of that, but I'm playing that now. Oh man! And yeesh, that's. <laughs> That's trouble right there. <laughs> that is trouble. I tell you what. Uh, so yeah. So loving the fourteen by five and a half uh, raw brass and uh, yeah. Other than that, man, everything's good. <clears throat> Just getting it ready for camps. Wow, coming up already on that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm finishing up the curriculum, which I'm really. This is the first time I think I'm going to make the curriculum into an actual book for sale because I'm really proud of it as a book. Nice. Um, I think I think I'm actually going to get rid of my linear drumming book. Get rid of my uh, Groove Freedom book, and then 
what this four-stage practice method book and the camp book is, is it, it'll be a little bit more like Kim Plainfield's book. Um, mm-hmm. It ha- it'll have it'll be like a best of so uh, there will be a four it'll be the four stage practice method book stage one and stage two will be what they are exercises in non creativity and exercises in creativity and then stage three which is main focus that will be the Kim Plainfield side where it's like well you don't need a hundred and forty pages of groove freedom here are my favorite ten mm. the ones that are just at the core and I want to eliminate every single note of fluff that I've ever written I want every note that's there to be like this is awesome. If you do this right, it is incredible, mm-hmm. you know? Because you and I have gone through books where it's like, all right, you're you're now into mathematical permutations of right. the same idea yeah. just to fill up pages. But really only number two and number six on this page are awesome. Right. Yeah. So um, and so I wanna I wanna get to that. And with Kim Plainfield's book, I kind of felt like, dude, every I mean, you go into Afro-Cuban 6-8, his chapter on that, and there's only two pages of it, but each one is like, oh, mm. that's money. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so I'm really, I don't know, I'm just, I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm in kind of a juiced up phase right now. <laughs> I think you took all my energy, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's 42 minutes of our podcast. All right. I'm in a coffeeed up uh, phase right now. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, we however we get there is how we get there. And you and I will balance each other out. Next time I'm just like, you know what? I don't think I've ever sucked at anything as much as I suck at the drums, that's when you'll be like, dude, I rip. I'll be like, great, good for you. All right, let's talk a little bit about education. Let's get into something that we don't talk about enough, but I think we all deal with, and that is the subject of stage fright. Yes. What is stage fright? How do we deal with it? And I think we all go through it in very different ways. And the the reason that we haven't solved stage fright is because we're all human beings and we all deal with it in different ways. And I think the other thing is I don't think a lot of people know how to identify their stage fright. They don't know what it is. They just know they're uncomfortable. Yeah. They're not happy. And whatever they just put their toe into, they, they don't want to dip their whole foot in there. Mm-hmm. And um, stage fright is a weird thing. It shows up. I can tell you this right off the bat. I've never once had stage fright on stage. That's the only place it doesn't happen. It's, it's the moments it's the leading six up. months yeah. leading up yeah. to it. Yep, I'm petrified. I I go into full depression, but once I'm there, it's like I I know the cure for it. We can talk about it later, but um, yeah, I've never had stage fright on stage. Um, yeah, I, I, that would suck <laughs> if I got on stage and started kind of shaking a little bit. Oh God, even that's making me frightful now so so what about you i mean i'm assuming on just a gig a regular old gig you probably don't have a lot of stage fright do you no not anymore i mean i think it i think it's one of those those issues where the more the more experience and the more you put yourself in uncomfortable situations the more you're prepared for i kind of think stage fright is the is you get anxiety from the unknown like what could happen that would totally Mm -hmm. ruin this experience and you know 20 some years into playing gigs and some of the nastiest clubs in, in the country I think I've had every experience just about that could go wrong right. I've had bass drum beaters fly out I've had drum heads break I've had yeah. you know I've had monitors Drop sticks. monitors go out yeah. I've had I've had drunk bandmates I mean bandmates you know all the all the things that you could think could ruin it but so lately not really I kind of relish it a little bit but um, yeah it's just fun there's, it's I've like, certainly oh, cool. been like jitters and usually it's just excitement i kind of chalk it up for just i'm i'm excited to play now rather than i'm scared and, and that to play. seems like it's a mental switch that you have to flip is i would assume on a medical level that and on a biological level that excitement and nervousness are very similar 
yeah. as far as what's going on in your stomach and the acids and yeah, exactly. the, and it's like you're the one that has to tell you like oh wow look how excited I am <laughs> yeah. it's like oh, you're scared out of your mind but whatever it's just <laughs> but it's just words to describe that emotional response I mean it's either right. positive or negative and I think just switching it to the positive usually helps I mean I I don't get I don't get a paralyzed by fear very much anymore. I mean, going through music school and college and where you had to do a, a jury, a jury uh, performance for the entire percussion staff and, you know, every semester, that those were scary because <clears throat> that was right. like my, my teachers and my peers and the guys I looked up to were going to be analyzing me play the exact same piece that they're playing. And that was pretty terrifying. There were definitely a few of those when I had like, like called in sick mentally, <laughs> like yeah, you yeah. Know, like this is a little sweaty palms. And you're like, oh. but it, we just surpassed the place that the sweat is helping with the grip. Yeah, and now I'm actually slipping. But it was always non drum set stuff. When we got to the drum set section, I'm like, ah, you know, I'm back at back home. It was like marimba or timpani concertos right. and yeah. stuff that <laughs> I literally had probably practiced one one hundredth of the amount of time that I'd practiced drum set. And probably practiced it in a very different mental space, too, because you're just getting it to get it out of the way yeah. rather than doing it because you love I'm it. not really passionate well, now, about it. Yeah. <clears throat> what about, let's say, let's say Modern Drummer brings back the MD Fest. It's mm-hmm. Modern Drummer Festival 2020. And Mike Dawson has to do two things. you got to come out and welcome the crowd with a little, fi- like, hey, Mike, we need you to go out there and fill five minutes while Virgil Donati gets ready. Yeah. So you're going to give a speech to the crowd. Yeah. And then after Virgil, we just need you to play a quick five-minute solo <laughs> to get us to the next person. <laughs> Which one of those would make you more nervous? Uh, when I was in my teens and 20s, I would say the speaking part would have been the worst. Okay. But I, now that doesn't doesn't scare me at all. I feel completely comfortable awesome. on a stage with a microphone. Uh but it's the opposite. I mean, I practiced drum solos when I was a teenager, and I was just so young and arrogant that I didn't really care. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I felt yeah, like sure. sure I can play right after Virgil. I actually did have right. to play right after Virgil at a uh, what? At a it might have been a drum off or Mars Music drum okay. contest. He was like the featured guy, <laughs> so I had to play like right after him. And were you a contestant? Yeah, yeah. Wow. It was weird because he was backstage just warming up for like five hours. Just yeah, with a no, he's... double pedal on a pad and a practice <laughs> pad and like really not talking to anyone. And just I was like, whoa, this guy's like, like he's going out there to kill somebody. Like he's not messing yeah. around. <laughs> it's a whole different <laughs> level of commitment to the instrument uh, that what, what Virgil and Thomas and, uh, you know, Marco, what those guys do. Yeah. It's just incredible. But yes, but well, I think. I mean, I think today one, I would go out and just play something that's comfortable i wouldn't feel like i'd have to play a solo that would match virgil i would probably just play some beats and things that i know that i can execute no matter what in any situation i wouldn't be like all of a sudden let me uh this is what i did actually (laughs) done wrong in contest before no preparation let me just feel inspired in the moment and see what happens (laughs) yeah i get out there and and like the lights are on and the fog machine is on and i'm playing on like a like a fusion kit, but I'm a jazz drummer. I'm like, hmm, right. inspiration, zero. I want to go home right zero. now. Zero, <laughs> yeah. But at least the phone's ringing. Let me see if I can grab some tempo off of that thing. <laughs> um, well, I think when it comes to stage fright, the one thing that takes it away from me is preparation. Mm-hmm. Even though all the stage fright I have is, let's say, like right now I'm going to England next week to do a clinic on March 4th. Um, so right now... I'm nervous about it, and that's forcing me to practice. 
once I'm on that flight to England, there's a part of me that knows you you couldn't have done anything more. Now, that stage fright will continue through the flight, through setup, th- through everything, if I didn't do everything I could to prepare. Mm-hmm. So I know in my past history, just like you said, like if I just say, well, I'm going to feel inspired, I'll actually be nervous all the way up to the minute that I'm playing. It'll go bad. I'll hate myself in the hotel. Yeah. But if I put in everything I can with preparation and everything... Then on the flight over, it's like, dude, I couldn't have practiced anymore. I literally ran out of hours every day. So uh, my thought is when you see me in clinic, you're getting a snapshot of where I currently am today in my drumming, and I will be better tomorrow. So yeah. this is what it is, and it's it's not perfect, and it's never going to be perfect. But the preparation is the key. Um, you can – you and, and the good thing about preparation is you can control it. Yeah, you can probably. say – <clears throat> All right, I would love to hang out with you guys tonight, but I've got this thing coming up in England. I have to put in the hours. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to hate myself. Now, if I if I prepare and I practice my butt off and I go to England and and the drumming is terrible, I really can deal with it. It, it doesn't bother me anymore because I know I put in the hours. It's only when I don't prepare is when I really beat myself up. Yeah, you're always so going to have bad prep- days. That's definitely yeah. I'll never factor just, that out. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, there's an article in the what issue is this? The March issue. We're still talking about that by by Mark Schulman, who's I mean, he's been a, a journeyman f- touring guy forever, it's like Cher and Foreigner and Pink for a long time. So he, the whole point of his article is about conquering stage fright, and right. he he breaks it down into three things, which I think is there's one preceding your preparation, and it's clarity to know what you need to prepare. That's the thing mm. that I think. Yep. Like if you're like you got to go out and like if you said I'm going to play the Modern Drummer Festival tomorrow. All right, what am I going to prepare? Am I going to all of a sudden whip out my double pedal? <laughs> you know, which I haven't <laughs> touched in in 12 years. Yeah. No, I'm going to focus. I need to focus on what is it that I can actually do or what is important for that what is important performance. And and also, what are you trying to say? I mean, we are artists, so it's like what are you trying to get across, you know? I think I mean if you think about Chad Smith's modern drummer performance, he could have gotten across, by the way, I'm awesome at funk beats. Yeah. I'm Chad Smith. I play in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He clearly was trying to make a statement, right? Yeah. Uh, he played, what, four minutes with no fills, no nothing. Yeah. Um, and it was, it might have been the most memorable four minutes on that entire show, honestly. It's the only thing I remember. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember who else was on it. Um, you know, I remember that at some point, didn't he bring out Ian Pace? Yeah, they kind of split the show, yeah. But, you know, I mean, so. So his preparation was, you know, like to your point, it was before the preparation that he decided time matters, groove matters. I'm <laughs> sick of all this stuff I'm seeing online. Because, I mean, that that came out right at the beginning of the YouTube explosion yeah. for drummers. Yeah, the chops and galore, he, yeah. Exactly. And he made a very specific point, and it was it was awesome. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, so I, I totally agree. I think you have to have the clarity to know what you're preparing, why are you doing this, and what are you trying to get across before you do it. Yeah. But to really conquer stage fright, it's preparation. When you get on stage with your band and you guys know that you skipped three out of your five practices, you're going to be nervous. Because <laughs> yeah. now you're just hoping, you're rolling the dice, hoping it works. Yeah. But if you prepare, it's like, all right, man, you get you just change it to like, I can't wait to share this with everybody, yeah. you know? Um, I think the other side so, yeah. of it is, uh, which which was something I also reminded myself over the weekend. I was reading, uh, there's a, a percussionist in New York, Rob Knopper. He's in the, okay. he's in the Metropolitan Orchestra, New York, New York Met. Wow. So he's world-class percussionist. And he started a, um, a blog where he's sharing just little tips about whatever, how to tune your snare drum, how to, how to do whatever. He had one on, 
I think the whole premise of his blog is about auditioning, how to how to do well in auditions for orchestras. Okay. But he has one on the the fear factor, how to play how to play snare drum quietly with while your hands are shaking, basically, which was his premise wow. of stage fright. How do you how do you conquer stage fright? And he had some pretty awesome ideas that I never would have thought of. Like his premise, which is kind of what I was mentioning earlier, was you can't just prepare in the perfect, clean, comfortable environment. You can't practice alone in your your perfectly tuned studio with Right. You know, have your hour to have lunch and then go practice. He's like, you got to put yourself in really uncomfortable situations. So when you go into the audition, which is really, really uncomfortable, you you're prepared. Your body can handle it. So he does stuff like he'll. Um, well, the easy stuff is to have a different person listen to him play every day, mm. like critique his playing every day. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which is easy to do. Just get your friends and family to come over and, and play for them and make sure they sit right yep. in front of you and you can see them and they're looking right at you and they're making you you know uncomfortable. Uh, mm-hmm. That was one. I thought that was, that's a pretty obvious one. Um, he sets his, he carries his snare drum. So he goes outside the room and he carries his snare drum into the room and plays. So he doesn't have any. Just like, so a mock audition. Yeah, so he has no chance to like get comfortable or whatever. Or he'll wow. set his, his he'll set his sticks down on the ground before every time he plays. So he has to get himself out of his like comfort set zone. Wow. Then he starts. Then he talks about doing some crazy stuff like putting his hands in ice water for a couple minutes and then playing. <laughs> you know? Wow, he's really going <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah, or uh, getting up super early and and playing it, or staying up all night and then playing. Like whatever you can do to, sh- to thrust, put the lights, you know, extremely hot lights on. Make it really cold. Wow, that's really cool. Stuff that, whatever it's going to do, is going to shake you out of that, like, you know, this play outside in a crowd of people. That's another one yeah. he says. Uh, so I thought it was really cool. And I so I've kind of been doing things every day of just, like, setting up loops that don't have a metronome and, and just I saw that. That was great. It. Like, just make it work and don't, you know, just go for it. Do one minute, stop, and then program another loop and play with it. So I think it's that's another way to kind of tackle it and film it and post it. That's another technique I think that's really effective. You know, yeah. record yourself and put what it online it? so people can Man, see. Man, this it. is a great website. I'm going through it right now, and I love how it's it's set up very different. He's got audition hacker and percussion hacker, yeah. and he's got blog. He's got courses. It, this is really well done. Man, he's world class. Um, I mean, he's a symphonic percussionist, so there's there's no drum set angle, but most of the concepts can be applied to, to what especially we're yeah i mean all the mental stuff is just it's just life yeah you know <clears throat> whether you have sticks or a bowling ball it's just yeah, life. exactly so he you know his it's definitely worth checking i think it's just robnopper.com yep robnopper.com and then yeah you can go slash blog or but if if you go there right when you hit um audition hacker a little drop down menu will show up and then just click on the blog and you're set yeah so yeah put That's yourself really cool, in man. really uncomfortable situations and then that simulates that anxiety, but it never quite and that's gets still, you there. Never quite. No, but it still comes down. That's still preparation. Yeah. The more you prepare, mm-hmm. like every time I prepare, it's knocking off. Like if I start at 100% of stage fright, then every time I prepare, it's like taking off a couple percentage points until all that's left is that little bit of rumbling in my stomach that's telling me like, cool, something amazing is about to happen. Yeah. yeah. And instead of being petrified. So, <laughs> all right, guys. Well, put yourself in uncomfortable position. Pos- places 
Don't put yourself in uncomfortable positions. Don't. That's weird. This isn't Kama Sutra. I mean, what are we talking about here? (laughs) Talking about drumming. All right. We should probably talk about our featured artist. Yes, indeed. Uh, This is one of both of our favorite drummers of all time, Mr. Dave Weckl. Who I think we, our very first episode, might have had him as the featured artist. 80 episodes. Uh, Yeah. Jeez Louise, man. (laughs) You know what's really impressive is how the heck have we not repeated a pick of the week? Yeah, I There's know. only so much stuff in the world, right? <laughs> we it's totally like, skipped them last week, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we lucked out. Because <laughs> if, you, if you would have hit me with a, like, all right, Mike, give me your pick of the week, I'd be like, the microphone that I'm talking into? <laughs> uh, I would have had nothing for you. So, <clears throat> all right. So, Weckle, right off the bat, give me, like, one of your favorite all-time Weckle recordings or performances. Okay, favorite, favorite, favorite. Because um, I have a few different categories of Weckle for All me. All right. What do you got? My favorite, which I know was a pick of maybe when we talked about him originally, is the song Gotta Match off of the Chick Corea Electric Band debut. And, and by the way, the reason we're talking about him again is not because we just love him so much, but he's actually <laughs> featured in the March issue because he just did a tour with the reunited original lineup of the Chick Corea yes. Electric Band. So. That's what inspired us to bring him up again. But yeah, that track got a match off of that debut record. I think it's the self-titled. It's insane. I mean, it sounds like what Benny Greb and Mark Juliana and Zach Danziger are doing today, but it was in, what, 1988 or 89 or whatever. It's insane. So that's that's my all-time favorite Dave Weckl track. And it's not... um, and they're kind of doing just jamming, going for it. So it's not like a lot of the really orchestrated compositions that that band played, which are cool. Right. But I like to just hear them just go for it because they're all yeah. virtuosos. So they hear them just, all right, let's just play a fast sort of funky swinging thing and just go. And that's that's yeah. kind of what this tune is. So that's my favorite oh. track. Um, I also really love, what was the name of that that second video series he did for Carl Fisher? Mm, yeah, yeah. The whole practice series yeah, thing that you yeah. did. There's some performance. He's on the yellow uh, yeah, Yamaha the hip gig kit. Hip gig kit. Yeah. Yep. That's those. There's not enough of the performance clips in those videos, but the ones that there are, I think that's that's Dave at his finest, where it's I totally. It's agree. kind of his return My, to acoustic drums, but before he mm-hmm. got into using a lot of percussion and stuff, so he just kind of going for it. That's another one that's really great. Yeah, there's some of those songs that are on there are actually part of my favorite album. Uh, my favorite <clears throat> track would be from him, <clears throat> would be, I'd probably say it's between The Chicken uh, from Live and Very Plugged In. So Live and Very Plugged In is my favorite Dave Weckl band album. Which I have not heard um, at all. Wait, what? Yeah, I don't even know that one. Oh, no, no. This is the quintessential. <laughs> this is, okay, so those those songs, there's a whole album of that. Of the, no from that video series, uh, so those this album and those songs came out at the same time. So it's Dave Weckl band live and very plugged in, and it's Tom Kennedy on bass and it, oh, dude, hmm. it is my favorite ah, there uh, of all time. Yeah, I don't have that yeah. one, and it sounds great. And it's it's live, but it's like you know Dave's controlling the drums, so it sounds it's to me it is the Dave Weckl drum sound because. One thing that I really like about Dave is that he sounds like that live, mm-hmm. like, and uh, it's just incredible. So, how would you describe um, his sound? Clean, yeah, but it's not stale, you know, because um, it has changed over the years. Because early on, it was a very wet, deep, you know, low sound yes. drum sound. And there's, 
I think that Dave, there's like this overly perfect sound that that Dave had in the past, and I would say Gavin Harrison has had it at times, yeah. where it's just like flawless drum sound. Yeah. And I, I can't, it's not my thing. I, it's just, it's too good. It's too perfect. And this was like, I don't know how to explain it, man. It's just, it, it's it for me. Every time I hear it, I'm like, I'm going to forgive the keyboards. <laughs> I'm going to allow the fact that someone's got the guitar preset and I am just in because it is so good. And I mean, I love anything that when Dave and Tom Kennedy are playing together, it's pretty amazing. So favorite track of all time would probably be The Chicken or uh, Tiempo Day Festival. That's the last track on the album. But that mm. is, without a doubt, my favorite Weckl album. I could listen to it over and over and over and over again. Um, so, so Yeah, well, you know, the um, one that was the most frustrating for me, because um, hmm. right when I got into Dave Weckl was, well, actually, it was it was Dave Weckl that inspired me to really get into straight-ahead jazz. It was Because there was like one straight-ahead track on his first solo album. I think he does okay. Softly as the Morning sunlight, Sunrise. And for some reason, that just hit me. Like, that was out of that whole record of all this kill infusion stuff they go and just play a standard and i'm like that sounds interesting i want to do that really yeah so i started exploring you know straight ahead jazz more and he was kind of my conduit so of course the first thing i do is get the chick korea acoustic band album (laughs) thinking that you're buying a jazz album buying like a a real traditional you know it's like oh it's got all these tunes like my my middle school big band has played autumn leaves and these songs right sure this will this will be familiar so I got that CD and I'm like, it was like the music had beamed in from Jupiter. I'm like, what in the world right. are these? I don't hear a single melody. I don't hear a single downbeat. Like, there's no downbeat. There's no backbeat. There's like, I, I can't, I can't jam to this because I don't know where the hell one is. It was so frustrating for probably like <laughs> eight years. I'm like, there's no way they're playing, they're playing Bessie's Blues. There's no way they're playing it. I right. don't hear I one can't note hear of it. it. <laughs> And Dave is being so smart. He's not ever hitting like a resolution. Everything is just ever. off the one, yep. off the one. I was like, you know what? Screw this. <laughs> <laughs> That's so odd. You're like, all right, kind of blue. Here we go. I got, I got to go back to the beginning. Yeah, uh, Master Plan. That's the album I think you're talking about. Yeah, the first one. Uh, yeah. yeah, 1990 when that came out, and oof, man, it, it's. You know, <clears throat> the one thing I love about Dave is he was. He was a bad dude back then, you know. Yeah. He was a bad dude at seventeen. I mean, um, but I, I still, unlike some other drummers, I don't listen to the old stuff really as like their peak. I, I, I actually like Dave now. I, I like him a lot. I could listen to him yeah. whenever. Um, and you know, the the album that I was talking about, it's not that. I mean, I guess it's kind of old. It's like fourteen years old now, but it's from two thousand three. But it came out in 2003, but he played that stuff all the way to like 2008 on tours and mm-hmm. stuff. So it still seems kind of modern to me. Um, and that was a, the more yeah. open drum sound, right? He had the tighter snare. Very. And- tighter snare, just brought the bongos over the hi-hat. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I didn't even know that that's what was there. So I was like, what drum is that? <laughs> yeah. Does he have a six? I mean, that's, that's higher than an eight. Um, but yeah, I mean... He's so influential to so many people, and that's the thing is I, I, I love Dave Weckl as a drummer. I really do, and I mean I've been a fan of his for as long as I can remember. But I also love seeing the Weckleisms show up in some of my current favorite players as well. Yeah, where it's just like, you know, it's I would assume it's very similar to the way people feel about Tony Williams, where no matter what they hear, they hear some Tony and some Elvin in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, and. 
and since I wasn't obsessed with those guys growing up, but I was obsessed with Dave, I can hear the Weckalisms in other drummers right away. Where I'm like, you clearly loved <laughs> Uncle Dave. Yeah, you yeah. had to have, you know. Or if you didn't, you just you don't even know where you got this from. But I'm telling you, that's where yeah, you got, got it from. from someone you know? else who got it from Dave. Yeah, right. So yeah, I mean, and but I think he came out at a time that was. How do you stand out? Because when he, when Dave really hit the scene as a as a solo fusion artist, Vinny's already there, and Vinny's already there with tons of credentials. Yeah. You have uh, Will Kennedy with the Yellow Jackets. You have <laughs> Steve Smith with Vital Information. And Gad uh, was Joel still doing it. Gad, Joel Rosenblatt with Spirogyra. Yeah. Like the fusion scene was kind of heavy, and Dave became one of you know. I mean, I think he's kind of up there in our top five of like all right celebrated drummers. Oh, it's yeah, not absolutely. I mean, think after. It, I mean, I didn't live through the Steve Gadd mania when everyone started playing like Steve Gadd, but <clears throat> I think Weckl has to be the next the next version of that. Like everyone started playing like Weckl. I mean, you had to have small yeah. toms and you had to play a lot of double stroke rolls. I mean, it, drier cymbals, drier cymbals. Like Vinny was, I think maybe everyone's favorite drummer, but really hard to imitate, at least in the early I was going to say, I don't know a lot of people that went gear-wise towards Vinny, because yeah. I don't even think they knew how to. Yeah, I mean, his vocabulary oh. was just so sophisticated and, and unusual and unpredictable, whereas right. Dave, it's kind of like you, if you get the gist of it, you can mimic it, and which is dangerous. Right. I mean, that's the same thing with Elvin and everyone else. You get the gist of it, you can, you can kind of do it, but... Then you overlook you the fact it. that yeah. Dave's phrasing is really sophisticated too, but he's using yeah. he's using familiar patterns. I guess is what makes it different. It's a little more tangible, yeah. um, but it's tangible until you sit down and try to play along to a Dave track, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's good. genius, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, he's he's up there with with Buddy Rich as far as people can only handle it for so long, and then they have to turn negative on it to make themselves feel better. <laughs> At some point, everybody goes, Buddy Rich sucks. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay. We'll see you in five years when you come back around to it again. And At some point, everybody goes like, ah, Dave Weckl sucks. I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah. You'll be back in three years and you'll tell me what a genius he is because you can only handle it for so long. He was always ahead of the curve, too. Like I, I, For sure. I always loved the, his electronic stuff that he would throw in. He'd always throw a track in or something that would be like, what the hell is he doing? He's like using triggers or pads or something. and. Yeah. He was in the forefront of that. Like even with with Chick Corea, I remember pic all the pictures of him with like giant racks of electronics and computers and stuff. I mean, yeah, that's one thing that we probably overlooked because it kind of fell out of favor. But he was he was always searching for the new stuff, new technology. What you know, what can he try? I think it's a song called Trigger Happy on his second album. That's okay. it's like his drum solo track, but it's not a solo. It's him like controlling sequencers and triggers. Really? And, yeah. It's it's pretty neat. It's, I mean, it's not like That's awesome. it's not like some of the other tracks where he's just crushing on the drums. It's more of a, a textural kind of interesting thing. But that was like I think ninety two. I mean, so we're talking a long time ago, twenty five. years Yeah, ago. I mean, he's got a lot of solo records. I mean, I would say for me, out of his solo records, Master Plan was the first one. You know, that was like I remember thinking, "Holy crap, a drummer has an album." Yeah, you know. Yeah. Or to me, I think I bought the tape, then I bought the CD. And then I kind of, I wasn't there for Synergy and Heads Up. And then when um, when the Dave Weckl band came out with the album Multiplicity, that's when I really jumped back on. Mm. And I was like, okay, Multiplicity is like the Dave Weckl sound, the modern sound. Um, but yeah, and I think he's also, one thing that I've really liked is that he's always been upfront about his desire to evolve for his own drumming. You know what I mean? When he... 
put it out there that he was working with Freddy Gruber, we were like, wait, Weckl has a teacher? Oh, yeah. What do you, yeah. uh, I don't understand that. Like, and and then he made a whole DVD series on the evolution yeah, and the evolution those, symbols those videos, and the yeah. evolution sticks. Yeah. And yeah, I thought it was like, wow, Dave Weckl, who's you know at the top of his game, it you know changed the way he holds his sticks. And I totally remember like five years ago thinking, wow, that's really cool that Tiger Woods is about to do the Weckl thing. He's going to go ahead and change everything. And I didn't know that he then would never be able to hit a white ball straight for the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't work out for everybody, but worked out for Wex. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Like, man, even Tiger Woods got a new teacher. Oh. Yeah. Love you, T. Not so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I, so it's much. funny because I really do love the early Weckle stuff when he's, like, hitting a little harder and digging in. I mean, I yeah. I love that, but I have nothing but respect for what he did when he when he kind of transformed it's just it's a for me it's a totally different experience to listen to him play yeah. back then which it kind of felt like he was more aggressive and now right. he's just like masterful just effortless he's masterful yeah. and i think the great thing is i i see him every time he comes to yoshi's in oakland and um he's not losing anything because when he changed the way he played it allowed him to play that way for the rest of his life yeah Right, and so seeing him now, you know, with his gray goatee and his <laughs> yeah. Einstein hair, it's like, yeah, he's still Weckle, man. He's still, <laughs> you know, he's. I mean, honestly, when he took, a, uh, who did I see him with last? Probably Mike Stern, but when he took his solo, I mean, I was like, <laughs> it was it was bad how how much drool was coming out of my face <laughs> and how in it I was. And I'm gripping the table with my fingernails, and I'm like, it's. Oh, it was just incredible. And it wasn't like, oh, I wish I could have seen him 10 years ago. It's like, this is awesome. So uh, you might be able to hear my voice. I'm a slight Weckle fan. <laughs> but I've tried really hard to never – I've never sat down and practiced a single Weckleism ever. Um, oh, I did. You know, yeah. did you I really? Mean, I would years. say if anything, m- maybe that five-stroke roll between the ride and the left hands on the hi-hat and you oh, kind yeah. of five into the bell. Yeah. That shows up in my playing a little bit. And then I would say the one thing that I definitely stole from him uh, – totally subconsciously was um, a little five stroke roll on the hi-hats into a crash but no bass drum on the crash mm. just yeah, you know I do that all the time uh, and leave the bass drum out very purposely and I think that's Weckle-ish but I, I mean I've never sat down and tried to learn one of his songs so you, you had like your Weckle oh yeah I mean, I'm not talking about the play along book that he put out I did that I did all the yeah I mean I, I was into garden it. wall stuff yeah I mean I, well luckily which I'm sure I've mentioned before, I got the Dennis Chambers video. It was the first mm-hmm. drum video I ever purchased. So that kind of set the tone for my drumming career in a, in a certain way. And then, sure. then I got into Weckle. So I'd never fully went Weckle because Dennis had a certain thing, a certain, you know, that DC kind of vibe that I really was like, that's what I want to do. A little more aggressive, a little more, you know, like funk influenced. Yeah. Yep. So I would still like totally obsess over those records, but I would kind of filter it through the heavier kind of Dennis Chambers filter, um, which is funny because if a friend of mine who we were the same age and we both came up at the same time and always were playing and ensembles and stuff, he got the Weckle video first. So I got to oh, see okay. him like literally start ad- adopting some of Dave's like physical traits. He would like round his really? shoulders over and had his head kind of down a little bit. Like, he just kind of looked like him when he played. I'm like, that's cool. I'm glad I didn't go that way because I kind of like Dennis's vibe more, a little bit more up, okay. you know, a little more powerful, shoulders yeah, yeah. back a little bit more. 
So had I done that first, I probably would have never never come out of it alive. I'd still be playing yeah. my Weckle licks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, one thing that I love is that when I talk to other professional drummers and we're doing uh, <clears throat> you know festivals or clinics or camps together, I, I've never run into anybody that didn't have their Weckle time of their life. You know, yeah. um, I mean, Benny is a huge Weckle fan, and and really, I mean. Even when I get to see Benny go to dinner with Weckle and Gad or something, I'm like, man, like, if you're from the outside looking in, you don't, and you're kind of new to drums, maybe you think Benny's the big dog in that group, you know, because yeah, right. that's maybe it's all you know. But I know, like, man, my buddy is getting to hang out with some of his his true heroes, you know, and that's really cool because he has a, a massive amount of respect for him. Yeah. So everyone, check out some Dave Weckle. Literally, you can just go to iTunes or YouTube or whatever and t type in Dave Weckle. But I think Mike makes a great point. Some of the greatest stuff Dave ever did was outside his own band and outside of his solo records. So check out, uh, it's just the Chick Corea Electric Band, right? Yeah, but Electric is spelled with a K in the middle instead of a C. Watch it now. <laughs> Watch it now. It's electric. Crafty, it's crafty. 80s electric. <laughs> yeah, it is. So check that stuff out. And and I mean, uh, I've you know Dave's done amazing things too. Uh I was working on a track for a while with Will Kennedy. Will was doing the tour, and Dave did the album. And uh, so we had a drumless track of it, uh, and it was a Lee Rittenauer album, and Dave did the album, and it was the drumming was just incredible. So mm. definitely check that stuff out. All right, everybody. Well, it is time to move into something beautiful, which is gear review. You get to hear stuff today. Yeah, finally. We get to hear a whole drum set this time. <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, D-Drum Max Series kit, which I got the review for the March issue. Um, and what is this one made of? It because they've been the past couple of years they've been messing with alder in their drum shells. So I okay. so I checked out one. I know we talked about it probably a year ago on the, the Reflex kit, which is all all Adler or all alder Adler. I don't know what it, what is the word the wood called alder. Alder. <laughs> yeah. Alder. I just saw a typo. It's not Chris Adler There's wood. literally a typo in the magazine. I'm looking at oh, it. Oh, right you have now. it as Chris Adler wood. Yeah. Nice. Way to go. The Lamb of God wood. Way to go, Great. Mike. Good job. <laughs> oh, wait. Did you write this? Yeah, I wrote this. <laughs> yeah. Way to go, everybody. Congratulations. All right. I got Alder a degree. Wood. So, <laughs> which I loved because it was like deeper and darker and really like controlled so you didn't have to muffle the drums up at all. And for this okay. kit, they blend. They're blending, I believe, maple. Yeah, maple with with alder. Yep, I spelled it wrong. Man, that's gonna that's gonna make me lose sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah, I can tell, man. This is like you you seriously came in on the wrong downbeat, man. You are like not happy with yourself right now. You guys can't see on Skype, but he's like really staring at this issue. Like, no, maybe my eyes are messed up. I'm still a little tired from gigging. <laughs> Getting in Son deep. Of a, okay, so anyway. It's a maple alder blend, which gives it a little bit more life, a livelier sound. Okay. And so I, it, to me, it sounded like a great kit that you could use for anything. Uh, definitely more of a contemporary kind of thing. I guess if you got a bop version, you could do you know, a, a straight-ahead jazz kind of sound. But it felt like a good rock, R&B, whatever, contemporary Christian, whatever you need, it just has like a clean, sure. good sound. Um, so yeah, D Trump is making some really good moves this past couple of years. Well, and it seems it's got like the it's got the tube lug, so it looks hip. It looks like the badge is slightly different. Uh, let me zoom in real quick. Uh, I guess it's not, but um, it's a little different. It doesn't have the a little the different. Lettering yeah. is a little bit smaller, and they put some sticks on it. I think to make it yeah, you know, it's not just D drum across the side. 
So where do you see, I mean, just in all honesty, where do you see D-Drum fitting into the pantheon of drum companies? I mean, are they pushing forward? Uh, because they, they exploded, you know, what, 10 years ago when yeah. they came out with like, hey, you can have all these custom finishes for under a grand. I mean, because even everything you just said about this kit, you know, a three-piece kit is still only $1,000. So, you know, it's, it's still pretty affordable. Yeah. I mean... It, it seems like they're not going away anytime soon. So, no, and I, and kinda, I mean, it seems like they're they're kind of refocusing and getting back into you know putting out stuff that that will last a career rather than six months. You know, like cool. I think when they when they first kind of came on the scene making acoustic drums, they were one of the first to do the super deep bass drums and kind of jumped. Oh yeah, jumped no, I mean that. they were part of that whole. That that was the thing is like how do I get Travis Barker's Orange County kit when I can't afford that? Yeah. And D Drum said, "Well, we could do exactly. it for under a thousand. And it worked. Well, to worked do it for me. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But to do it for under a thousand, something's got to give at some point. Yeah. And then you know, but but yeah, I remember people like crazy. Everyone was getting their thirteen by seven D Drum snare drum. Right. You yeah. know, um, for a hundred and fifty bucks yeah. at <laughs> wherever. So. So yeah, I mean, uh, just seeing that they're still putting out quality stuff or constantly trying to push forward is really cool. Yeah, and they're, I mean, they're they're refining and they're always putting out something. I mean, I think they've hit on something special with this this not Adler wood, this Alder wood. You know, it gives them <laughs> something unique, and, it, and it's kind of like it's like gig ready. You know, you just kind of show up and the drums right. sound good. You don't need to. Your sound guy's not going to be complaining about your floor tom ringing for eight days. It it just kind of has a the right amount of sustain, you hit it, it sounds good and open, and then it dies out. Gotcha. So then they start gotcha. mixing in other woods with it, and it just adds that other element. The maple brings it, just gives it a little bit more of a a bigger sound, a longer, you know, a little bit brighter. But if they start mixing it with other woods, it's going to it's gonna bring in a whole new palette that's still going to retain that, that kind of focused, you know, like you don't need to tape up your drums to, you know, to keep it under control. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people want something where you say okay if i'm going to spend this kind of money i don't want to have to then tape everything up and muffle it down it's like i just want it to do its job you know and that comes down to the material and the way they treat the material and so um yeah so what it what heads did you have on this just because we're about to hear it what do you have on there just what it came with are they clear they coated it was if i recall it was clear double ply batters clear single ply resonance it was i believe a clear emad on the kick drum um the snare drum wasn't part of the kit but that was also a, a pretty cool uh like i can't remember what it was but it's a brass it's a brass kind of vintage style black beauty cool. drum so and i didn't i didn't do the my typical like here's high here's a medium here's low with this kit because they just sounded really nice in the medium low and i just like that that's the sound that's what people are going to go for with this kit uh, right and and talking about the price, the shell pack, which was an eight by twelve, a fourteen by sixteen, and an eighteen by twenty two inch bass drum, nine ninety nine. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's that's right in the range of like guys who just need a kit they can go out and play gigs with. It's going to sound good. You could record on it if you if you wanted to, if you needed to. Uh, I think it'll last. I mean, I, that's the one thing that I can't test is durability with this stuff. I really can't like. Consumer reports get robots to start shaking the <laughs> hardware for eight million repetitions, uh, but right. But I think it's built Just, to last. I didn't. I didn't feel any any uh, shortcomings with the hardware or anything like that. Cool, man. Awesome. Well, let's give it a listen.
listener question time, I guess. Oh, you know what? We have to remember. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this on the air to remind us because uh, our good friend Chris Carter said you guys have to talk about the gear after you play the audio. You know what? The problem is that we don't you, we don't hear it right because well, we, we put it in later because we don't prepare. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm so. That's why I have so much stage fright right now. Okay, so from now on, you send me the audio yeah. before, yeah, and I'll listen to it. And yeah, no, I, I think we should. Um, I mean, there have been times where I tried to fake it. I was like, that was fat, <laughs> but I have no idea what it sounded like until until the next day in the shower when I listen to the podcast on Friday morning, and I'm like. Well, that would that no, that really was pretty fat. That's a great, <laughs> that's a great sounding drum set. <laughs> oh, I did, that was not a lie. That is a good sounding yeah. drum set. So that, all that's right, a production we will note starting for next future. week. Yeah. So thanks, Chris. We will we'll try to make that happen. So our first question comes from Tyler. Um, this is something I don't I don't know if actually we will be able to really answer accurately, but we can try. What okay. what was the reason that drum companies switched from three ply shells to thicker sticks ply and and up? Wow, I, w- I would actually love to uh, to call Gretsch and uh, like actual Gretsch in South Carolina and talk to them about that because they were the pioneers of the three ply shell. So they, you would think they'd want to stick with that as long as they could. My broadcaster is a three ply shell. Yeah, um, I don't, yeah, I don't know. know. I don't was, know if it's I don't know if it was cheaper. Ludwig or Gretsch who did the first straight shell with no reinforcement rings. It was one of the two. It might have been Ludwig. Mm. Okay, uh, my theory, which I think has been relayed to me I might be misremembering was it, it was when, as music got louder and more aggressive and people needed more durable and louder drums they got you know they started using more plies because it just made the, the drums hmm. sound bigger louder wow okay yeah I, I don't know I'm I mean wrong, but that's that's my hypothesis and I believe that was told to me by some people over the years so you think it's a sonic thing not mm-hmm. a construction thing it's yeah. easier to make a six ply shell it's or? easier to make them they're they're going to okay. be stronger because you got more wood you know they're not going to blow apart and they're going to be louder because right. they're going to be a thicker shell yeah okay well that's my there you that's go. my philosophy on that and uh, please correct and, uh, me mdinfo at moderndrummer.com if yeah, you want stick that in your craw call me out on it <laughs> 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 All right, next one is from John in Annapolis. He's curious as uh, to our thoughts on the order of things to bring in to a gig and then set up in the shortest amount of time. He always thinks about going from the ground up, um, but what order do we set things up? Uh, I can tell you my setup's pretty easy. I uh, set up all the hardware on its own away from the drum set. So there's like this batch of stands. But when it's time to assemble my kit, it goes kick, snare, hi-hat, floor, rack, cymbals. But it always starts with the kick. Um, Kick and snare gets me like kind of in my position. My hi-hat sets up my second pedal, and now I'm in groove position, everything's good. I match my floor tom to my snare drum exactly, same height, same angle, same everything, equal equidistant from the bass drum pedal. Rack tom. Uh, goes right in front of the snare, and then I bring in my cymbals, and then I season to taste. That's pretty much exactly it. The only time I, I deviate from that is if I just have to get everything, like the drums on stage first for the microphones. <clears throat> so right. then I'll, the last I, thing I do will be the hi-hat. I'm just <laughs> thinking if, like, it'd be so awesome to have the opening band and the guy, like, just sets up an 8-inch splash by itself <laughs> and then builds the whole kit around <laughs> that one thing. And he's like, no, that's just got to be there. That's got to be there. Yeah, well, and then it's like... I mean, do you know the, you know the band Battles? <laughs> With, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, he's got that. He puts his one crash like literally 
it's eight feet off the ground. Yeah, I wonder, I've not I seen mean, him set up. I wonder if that's first or last. If they make right. it like a same thing with uh, thing. Blackwell's China. Yeah, you know, it's like, do you start with that? Like, <laughs> you start with that. All right, there we go. Next. All right, so where are we at here? Um, this is an interesting one from this is from Big Al. So, in what situations would it be best to use hot rods, mallets, brushes, etc., as opposed to drumsticks? Hmm. Well. Uh, according to Mr. Dawson, there's no situation to ever use hot rods. <laughs> I'm never going to let that go. No, no, not true. Uh, not true. Not, not Don't true. misquote me not with true. your false facts. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So I don't want to mess with you because I know you're still a little tense about the Adler wood, uh, the Lamb of God ply. Uh, I know. Sorry, um, D drum. <laughs> so yeah. So I think. Um, the sound dictates everything for me. Um, I don't really, honestly, see it as a volume thing to me. I, I really, if I if I need to play quiet and and I want it to be done with sticks, I choke up. I grab my maple sticks and I I just hit softer. You yeah. know, for me, brushes, mallets, and hot rods or bundle sticks, they're more of a tone than they are a volume to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a difference in tone. Because to me, I mean, hot rods are not quiet drumsticks. They are a totally different animal. Yeah. Um, you can play what pretty about loud you? with them. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can rim shot those things. Yeah, I mean, it's it's usually genre specific. Like, okay. I wouldn't... Um, I think singer-songwriter kind of world is where you can really explore. Because in general, you're playing, like, basic beats all the time. And if you only use sticks and you only use your simple four-piece kit... You're just going to be repeating yourself all night long, so right. you got to find something to mix it up. So maybe use a mallet in your left hand and a, a brush in the right hand, but still play your same beats. But how are you going to orchestrate those beats with these new implements? Because you can't really play the hi hat with a brush because it's kind of silent, pretty much. So maybe you're going to ride on the rack tom or something, or put a maraca in your hand at the same time. Mm. So I think that's that's, that's kind of the thing. It's genre like rock and roll. In general, it's just use the sticks like. Just deal right. with it. If you got to play quietly, don't use hot rods. If you're playing Led Zeppelin, it's just my philosophy. Right. Like, just don't don't do that because it's not the sound. I'm with you. I mean, vol- exactly. It's sound volume. I'll just play quieter, you know, or I'll play louder. Um, <laughs> but I mean, and, and even if it was a loud thing, like you said, but I wanted the tonality of bundle sticks, I would just hit them harder. So yeah. um, now, one thing that I I think is way underused, and I love when I see people do it. Uh, what's uh Jameson Ross did it on that video that we used as a pick of the oh, week a while yeah. ago. Yeah. Do you play your drum set with mallets? I do a lot. I mean, I think that's such yeah. a cool thing. I do a lot. It puts it, me in a melodic space immediately. Right. You're getting so much. Do you turn tone. your snares off always, or do you leave them on? It just depends. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't. Okay. I mean, I don't, I'd like the sound of like loosening the wires so they really rattle, and then hit it with okay. a mallet. It's just a cool, like reverbed out kind of. It has like a distortion yeah. to it. There's no attack. So it sounds distant. I like that sound. Like if you're going for a real yeah. moody vibe. But if I'm just messing around, like playing like solo type stuff, I'll usually turn the snares off. Use it mm-hmm. like a tom. Yeah, man. I, that's It's a fun thing too. And they just, they fly off the drums. So you just yeah. feel, yeah. I mean, a double stroke roll with mallets around the kit. It's so you feel smooth. Like a stud. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. Next. All right. Last one. This is from Curtis. Uh, okay. I think we might have touched on this topic a little bit, but I wonder if you guys could discuss education options for four-year colleges versus something like Musicians Institute or the Collective. Um, so he doesn't have a 
I don't have a career and I've been thinking about working towards getting a business degree as a sale, a fail safe plan with a second degree or minor in music performance. So he just wondering what would be our thoughts on the pros and cons of either going to a, a, a regular four year program or one of these more selective two year or summer programs. Yeah, I mean, I think we have great examples of accomplished musicians that have done every choice. So yeah. there is no one path. For me, it's always been a simple thing of the reason to go to a Berkeley a Musicians Institute, a new school, any any intensive place for music is mo- mostly for the connections yeah. um, that that can't be built just by hanging out at the right club at the right time. I mean, this is like it's it's what happens when you get stuck in a combo with that bass player and that piano player and you guys have a winter concert coming up it, it bonds you in a totally different way that yeah. can't be done by just meeting somebody at a chance meeting so i think the 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 lifetime of connections you would get out of a a two-year school like that um or an intense school like that are amazing the education is going to be fantastic but you and i have talked a, a ton of times about you could just find Whoever teaches at Berkeley also does private lessons on the side, probably. So you can get that education really wherever. Um, It's just those connections are really impossible to find. Yeah, there's no way to replace the, you know, like four or five of your friends who are in the same classes, staying up all night working on the same Mm -hmm. stuff, and and who can play the that thing better than the other guy. I mean, it's you are in the muse, you are in the musical trenches together. Yeah, you know, you it bonds you that. for life. I mean, in his yeah. particular case, he's saying he's leaning towards getting a business degree. Then, okay, game over. Go to a college that has a world class business program, and then Agreed. get some music study outside of that. Because that your business degree is going to come in handy. And every, I mean, I I should have done business school. I think it's. I think everyone who's who's going to be self-employed as a musician needs to study some business. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm backtracking like business 101 stuff now. Like how do I even keep track of invoices and things like that? It's right. So I would say find your business school first and then either well, study music there or find the best local teacher or whatever scene you, or minor in music, whatever is, whatever the option is. But yeah, that would be my, suggestion. not to mention you're not going to be able to get a degree in business without going through some serious marketing classes, which are going to help you as a musician for the rest of your exactly, life. So, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, you, and, and William Patterson is one of those great schools that has, it's a, it's a fantastic school in New Jersey that just happens to have a world-class music program. So yep. you can find both. All right. It is time for picks of the week. By the way, guys, thanks for all of your questions. You can keep sending those into mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. It only took me 78 episodes to memorize that, but I got it down. <laughs> And um, we love your questions. You can, you're always encouraged as well to send us audio questions. We love hearing your voice too. Mm-hmm. All right, it is time for our picks of the week. Do you have one, or do you want me to go? I got one. Uh, I took oh, a, I took a handful of sticks with me on this run to just you know sticks I'd never used before because I'm always okay. just I like to try different you know whatever I've sure. got. And and it just so happened at Nam I got a bunch of samples from different companies to to try out. Um, one in particular I'm not going to name tore my thumb to shreds uh and it was <laughs> so you're not, not you're not gonna, even gonna help our poor students i mean our listeners well, no, I'm, out? Gonna, I'm gonna caution you on the type of stick so it was a type okay. of stick that has like the rubber gripper stuff on it where they dip it yep uh, yep and basically every company has them now so i'm not throwing anyone under the bus i'm pretty sure those sticks are really only effective if you wear gloves <laughs> because <laughs> I t- or, awesome. or if you have dry hands i have sweaty I hands so what happened was as my thumb got sweaty, it bonded with that rubber. 
Oh, it wow. literally, so halfway through the set, I looked down, I'm like, why is there glue all over my thumb? It wasn't glue. It was my skin being ripped off of my thumb. Oh. <laughs> it was terrible. So anyway, those are not my pick. My pick are, okay. <laughs> so just be, be aware if you're considering any kind of grip sticks, just if you have sweaty hands, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there. Well, and be aware that it, when you come to drum camp, I snap your sticks over my leg if you have dipsticks. I don't. I just can't. There's stand nothing it. wrong like, with them. I mean, they they they, they felt uh, great. I mean, they really did. They, until they took your skin until off. Until they ripped my thumb off. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Agree to disagree. All right. Go ahead. It's your pick. But another pair I got was from uh, a Canadian drummer. He's, you know, I see him every year at Nam. He's a, he's a sweet guy, Anthony. It's uh, Michele or Michelli. I don't know how you properly pronounce his name, but he's a Vader okay. artist, and they debuted his. Yeah, yeah, I went to dinner with him. Yeah. He's like the nicest he's guy ever. Sweet, he's a stud. He's very supportive. You would never think that, you know, just meeting him, like he's a, you know, he's a cool guy, but he's also a really badass world class drummer like, at the same time. T- yeah, yeah. So anyway, his signature stick from Vader is the AM595, and it's right okay. between a 5A and a 5B. And it's it felt just perfect to me. Like it's, you look at it as like, oh, it's a drumstick, whatever. But it had the perfect weight, perfect rebound. I think it's, you know, standard 16 inches long. It has an acorn tip. It sounded great. It lasted three shows. Uh, It's still, I mean, it didn't break at all. So it's still in almost near near perfect conditions. It was very, it was durable with as most Vader sticks are. Um, But if you're kind of like me, where sometimes you want a 5B, but that can be too big or a 5A could be too skinny, it's kind of braid in that middle where it just felt. Perfect. So that's my pick. It's the Vader AM595. Nice, man. Well, yeah, and you guys should definitely check him out. His name's Anthony Michelli, and literally that's the website. Just uh, Anthony, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-I.com. Uh, and, I, yeah, I had never met him either. I mean, I'd seen a little bit of his stuff and was a fan, but met him. We had a Vader dinner together, so it was myself, Anthony, and Abe Cunningham oh, from yeah. Deftones. Yep. And it was it was a great group of guys, man. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. So he's a, he's a monster for sure. My pick of the week this time is a person that I just want to alert you to, a drummer uh, that you may not have seen yet. His name is Dan, I believe Mayo M A Y O. Oh yeah, that guy's a beast. Ho 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 yeah. ho ho. Uh, let's welcome in Israel to the <laughs> drumming scene because damn, I don't know what's going on over there, he's but this cat can it. play. Yeah. Brutal. So, um, yeah, we, uh, I, yeah, just I freaked out over him, man. He is, he's incredible. He, he grooves as hard as you would want a Steve Jordan alum to groove, but he throws in all the fusion and fun that make it, you know, make it YouTubeable, right? Yeah. So, unfortunately, unless you're really, really into the the nuances of groove, watching some dude groove for two minutes is not. It's not going to do it for you. So, but he finds the balance, man. It's not showing off, but and he just has so much life on the instrument. Yeah. Um, so yeah, check out uh, Dan. I think it's Mayo, uh, but he's just absolutely incredible. I mean, you know me really well. I'm not. I'm not the. I'm not much of a fanboy to to many things. I I reached out on Facebook and just wrote like a fan letter. Oh, cool. Didn't like it. Wasn't like my name's Mike Johnson. I'm MikeSlosons.com. <laughs> Uh, I, it was just like, hey, what's up, man? I just want to let you know that your playing is absolutely inspirational, and I've been practicing all day after watching your video. Thanks for the inspiration. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know enough. I don't know enough is drummers from Israel to be have an honest assessment. But the guys that I know that come from that scene, they play with 
I mean, no holds barred. They go for it. Like Near Z yeah. is one. Dan, Near, is, I yeah. mean, they're going yeah. for like they've got something to prove when they play the drums. Yeah. It's pretty awesome, man. I mean, it's it's really quite impressive. And uh, yeah, so um, so yeah, check out Dan Mayo. And uh, what is his band think, called? Because uh, they're really really cool. Uh, what the heck are they called? Mm, Let's look it up. I don't know. It's kind of in that experimental Let's... rock like fusion world tart tatron tatron t-a-t-r-a-n yeah yeah tatron um tatron tatron i mean tatron tatron i don't know whatever adler it's kind of like a jojo mayor thing but with a little bit yeah. more of an attitude i think yeah i just it's just great man it's it's just a constant reminder that there's room for all of us when you think like uh, it's all it's done, what else can we do after <laughs> Weckle and Gad and Benny? It's like there's room. There's always room for for your version of expression on this instrument. So um, just stick with it, you know. But yeah, uh, and uh, you can go to Facebook.com/slash Tatron Music uh, to check out his band as well. So very cool stuff. So all right, buddy. Well, that might be a record for us. How do we do today? We drop in uh, almost one ten. It's not bad. Yeah. Well. Hopefully I'll be able to edit out the Adler chunks. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you got to show people that even when it comes to writing, you're still human. People yeah. think that you're like, you know, I own up to uh, it. I screwed up, but you know what? Stuff happens. You know what? Hey, I guarantee if you wait another fifty years, botanists will discover the Adler tree, <laughs> and you'll be spot on, buddy. Oh, <laughs> it's worry so ironic it. in so many ways. I'll have to tell you all. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. Have a fantastic week. We will see you guys next time. Mr. Dawson, take it easy, bud. Adios. A little Spanish for the kids. <laughs>